from the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. This is Cheryl Kennedy at the Library of Congress. Late September will mark the 11th year that book lovers of all ages have gathered in Washington, D.C. to celebrate the written word at the Library of Congress National Book Festival. The festival will be two days this year, Saturday, September 24th, 10 a.m. to 5.30 p.m., and Sunday, September 25th, 1 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. Free and open to the public, the festival will take place between 9th and 14th Streets on the National Mall, rain or shine. For more details, visit www.loc.gov bookfest. Joining me is award-winning broadcast journalist Hoda Kotby. Her memoir is titled, Hoda, How I Survived, War Zones, Bad Hair, Cancer, and Kathy Lee. Ms. Copy, thank you so much for joining us. Hello, Cheryl. How are you? I'm good. As testified in the title of your book, we all know that you are a survivor. Mm-hmm. How did being diagnosed with breast cancer in 2007 give you the gift of fearlessness? You know, it's a weird thing. Whenever I used to hear people say, cancer gave me a gift, you know, X, Y, or Z, I always cringed, Cheryl. I always felt like, ugh, it just didn't feel right to even hear someone say that. But I think the funny thing is, is when you are faced with with your mortality, and it happens to many of us, you know, during the course of our lives, sometimes you curl up in the fetal position and you feel like it's all over and you just want to suck your thumb and the covers and, you know, call it a day. And sometimes something else happens. And for me, one night I had this sort of epiphany, and four words came to me. And the four words were, and this is, again, after I had my surgery, after breast cancer, and after I had recovered, the four words were, you can't scare me. And I'll never forget that feeling, because suddenly everything seemed so small in my life that I had been previously worried about. And what's interesting, Cheryl, is that around that time they were starting a new hour of the Today Show, the fourth hour, and I'd heard about it. And I did something I had never done in my lifetime. I decided I was going to go to my boss and ask for something. I was one of those girls who always waited to get called on, waited to get noticed. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go ask for this because I felt fearless. So I remember hitting 52 in the elevator bank that took me all the way way up to see Jeff Zucker, who at the time was the head of all of NBC Universal. And I walked in his office, and if he would have taken my pulse, Cheryl, I would have been, I was so calm because it seemed so little to me to ask for something. And um, with the help of a bunch of great producers and friends, I ended up getting the job and working with Kathy Lee. And I just, it, it just hit me that if I hadn't have gotten sick, I would have never had the courage to go up and ask for something. And I, so I do feel like it gave me the gift of fearlessness. Now, your book has been described as bubbly and engaging, just like its author. Mm. I certainly felt many things when I read your book, Um, joy, sadness, but mostly hope. Now, how has telling your story made a difference to you and others? I think it's a little, it's a little strange when you put all your business out there, I'll have to say, because I'm, I'm, in a funny way, I'm a private person. I mean, you know, you share a little here and a little there, but suddenly when you're writing it all out on the pages, um, you do feel kind of vulnerable in that way. But I'm a big journaler. I was, you know, I always wrote in journals. In the morning, I would take 10 minutes and still do out of my day, and I'll write a little bit, and I'll, you know, I usually write my grateful list or my lessons learned at the end, just a couple of things. And I felt like um, at, at, at one point in your life, you feel like you have to sort of 
help other people if, if you can. And the way it came to me was after I, you know, got sick and got better, Matt Lauer asked me to go on a Where in the World is Matt Lauer? And I wasn't feeling all the way recovered, but I thought, you know what, I just wanted to go because I was so tired of feeling sick and I'd had a mastectomy and lots of recovery and all that stuff, and I just wanted to, to do something. So I went on this shoot and I was, on the, I was getting on the plane ride to come home from, from Ireland, which is where the shoot was, and I was, I was feeling terrible, Cheryl. I was feeling awful. I thought, you know what, I shouldn't have gone. I wasn't ready. I wasn't healed. And all I wanted to do was curl up on the plane, put my headphones on, and just go to sleep. And this guy next to me says, hey, how you doing? I go, hey. And I'm just trying to put my iPod earbuds in. And he goes, well, what, well, are you on NBC? I go, yeah. What's Katie Couric like? I go, she's nice. What's Matt? Do they get along, Katie and Matt? Or what's the story? I go, yeah, they get along. So anyway, this guy just keeps blabbing on and on. But I kind of like him. And he says, what's that thing on your arm? And I said, it's a compression sleeve. And he said, well, what's it for? And I said, oh, I had a procedure, and the doctor said, when I fly, I should wear a compression sleeve. And he said, well, what procedure? And I said, well, I had an operation, and the doctor said, you know, I said, what operation did you have? And I said, okay, listen, I had breast cancer. I said, but I hope when you get off this plane, you don't say, hey, I sat next to this girl with breast cancer. I said, I hope you have four or five other things you think of before that. And he said, I'm going to give you some advice, and you can go to sleep. And I said, okay. He said, are you ready? And I said, I am ready. He said, don't hog your journey. It's not just for you. He said, think of how many people you could have helped on the plane ride home. So for that guy on the plane, Ken Duane, I made a choice to share instead of put it deep in my pockets. Because I think we all have a choice in life. You either put your stuff deep in your pockets and take it to your grave, or you help somebody. Like it's choice A or choice B. I mean, there's not really a lot of other options. So he enlightened me. So I think he sort of sparked me into, number one, sharing that story, and number two, just deciding, look, if it can help out anybody, I mean, everyone goes through, through their twists and turns in life, and if it can help somebody, I'm, I'm going to try. Well, we know that you learned fearlessness. Are there any other lessons you learned that you can share? I just think you have to, um, you kind of have to take the focus off yourself. It's weird when you're sick because you sort of become self-focused, like, oh, my gosh, my test, my this, my that, my this. And I think there's a point there where you suddenly, there's a time where you realize it's time to uh, take the focus off yourself and help somebody else. And I think once you start reaching out and helping other people, you just innately feel better. You know, for any of us, no matter what our issue is, whatever our cross to bear is, whether it's a divorce or whether it's, you know, an illness, whatever, I mean, there are, you have to be able to break out of that and, and, and do the you can't scare me thing. You have to be able to get out of yourself because I think it's so easy to get trapped. And I think that's, that's one of the lessons learned. I mean, for me, I was married at the time and I was going through a, a difficult marriage and simultaneously I had breast cancer and was getting divorced. And a double whammy like that's a really hard thing to make it through. But what's funny to me is, and what's interesting is, because I had two big monster problems to deal with, you almost have to split your grief. Like, I feel like you have a finite amount of grief to go around. It's almost like having two kids instead of one. Like, you can't keep, you know, you can't focus on the one kid who's spilling his Kool-Aid on the carpet because the other kid is coloring on the wall with the crayon. So you literally have to share in your, in your you know, attention or in your grief. And I think having twin tragedies for me um, made it more bearable because I couldn't, fall down the mountain on one of them because I had to worry about something else. Like, I couldn't worry about why did he do that because I had tests to go in and take with the doctor. I couldn't, and I stopped worrying about what's going to happen with the test. And I thought, how could he have done that? So, so in a mm -hmm. funny, in a funny, strange way, having two things that you go through at once 
may actually make things more bearable. And the other thing, Cheryl, that I learned is sometimes in life we think we have to make big changes to change us. And someone had this quote, and I love it. It said, the way you spend your days is the way you spend your life. The way you spend your days is the way you spend your life. So if you think about your day today, you got up, you, you're doing, you know, you had breakfast with your husband, you're interviewing me, you know, you have lunch, you have another meeting, you, you know, you go grocery shopping, you have, you have dinner, you know, you go to bed, you watch Law and Order, whatever. And that's a microcosm of your life. So if you, if you want to change your life, you really only have to change Tuesday a little bit. And then you change Wednesday, and pretty soon you've changed a week and then a month and then a year, and you're different. So I think sometimes we think in order to get positive, we have to suddenly turn into sunshine and roses and cheerleader. But no, I think if we do one thing a day, whether it's help somebody or reach out or do something outside of ourselves every day and change a little thing, pretty soon you become a different person through through tiny changes as opposed to big ones. You included some of the emails that you received uh, in your Uh book, and they were just so poignant. Yeah. People were amazing. I mean, look, when you when you tell your story and then you're done, you you sort of think it's over like I did it and suddenly people were reaching out and telling me their stories. And I have to tell you, I learned and gained so much strength from people who shared their stories with me, whether it was through the emails that you, that you'll see in the book or whether it was through, uh, you know, a hug. Like, look, if I get, if someone wraps their arms around me in New York City, it's either a breast cancer survivor or I'm getting mugged. I mean, it's one of the two. And i got to tell you, there's nothing better than feeling that kind of warmth and love from a stranger because you're bonded with them. And when I think about what I, what I went through, which was, you know, I had breast cancer, I had the mastectomy, I had the recovery, and I'm sitting here at my desk almost five years later grateful to be here, and I know a lot of people have much more difficult circumstances than me. You know, they had to have much more extensive um, a recovery. They have children. They have, you know, there's a lot more to it. So I feel like, in a way, you can gain strength from people who've been through far worse than you have, and that's what I feel like I've been able to do. So it's been a blessing. I mean, people say, you know, a lady said to me, you helped me, and I'm thinking, no, no, no. You helped me. You helped me. It's a whole, you know, what you give, you get back tenfold, I'm learning. Now, in your book, uh, you wrote that you've always been asked, what are you? Yeah. How did that shape your life, and did you ever once feel a twinge of an identity crisis? Yeah, I mean, I was so weird. I mean, think about it. You know, your name's, my name's Hoda Kotb. I have frizzy hair. I had crazy stop sign glasses. My parents are from Egypt, and we lived in West Virginia, so hello. It was like roll call. I wanted to shoot myself. I was like, oh, my God. I would die because I wanted them just to get to my name. Mark Kaufman, you know, the kid would go here. Chris Kennedy, I'm like, oh, my God, here comes my name. And, and you know, they, they couldn't pronounce it. I would just sit there and just have this, I just had the slop sweats. I was thinking, oh, my gosh, just skip me. Because you're different and you're unique. And here's the funny thing. When you're different, you just want to fit in. But the funny thing is, is when you're not like everyone else, when you're not naturally, like, I, you know, I, had try, I couldn't get dates, you know, just all that stuff. You have to try harder in other parts of your life, and you don't realize how important that's going to be later. You know, I mean, look, if you're a a gorgeous, you know, homecoming queen or football star or whatever, sometimes those those kinds of people, God bless them, but they don't have to work all the muscles because everything comes a little easier. People want to be their friend. People want to know them. When you're like a lot of the rest of us, you have to try harder. You know, you have to work a little bit more at it. 
So it was mainly being different. And that's one of those things that you don't love when you're younger and that you embrace so much as you get older. But, you know, you want to be able to tell your younger self, like, hang in there because it's really going to get much, much, much better. But at the time when you're a kid, you know, all you could say is, oh, my God, how does my hair look like this? And why won't it go flat and feather back like the other girls? You know, why is it? Why am I like this and not like that? I mean, those kind of things do play a part in your in your upbringing. But I got to tell you, all that stuff turned into nothing but positive um, reinforcement later. Well, many of us can certainly relate to that. Mm -hmm. uh, you've covered hard news stories that took you all over the world, including the tragedy of Katrina. Mm -hmm. Were you able to maintain your journalistic impartiality when covering um, Katrina? I think some stories, there's not really, there aren't really two sides to that story. That story was a tragedy, and I, I you know, I spent many years in New Orleans, and I love that city. It's To me, it's a living and breathing place, and when that city celebrates, I celebrate, and when that city hurts, I hurt. So watching my city on its knees was really um, heart-wrenching because I felt, like, helpless, and, you know, part of me wished I was the Red Cross when I was down there reporting. But I had to just tell the stories and, and know that by showing them, other people would would come and help. Um, and I don't know that you lose your impartiality. I just think you do it with much more compassion because you feel it. And it also reminded me that whenever I cover a story anywhere, it's somebody's New Orleans. It's somebody's home, you know, and to be able to see a story that way. So when you go to the tsunami in Southeast Asia, know that you are covering someone's neighborhood and not just a spot on the map. Or when you go to anywhere to cover anything, <laughs> realizing that it, it's, it's somebody's home, and then you can, you can do it with a lot more uh, intimacy and passion. And I think that that's, that's sometimes what these stories call for, especially natural disasters, you know, like that, that, mm -hmm. we, you know, that we report on. And, you know, I think I did it more humanely because I was so connected. You wrote in your book that behind every strong woman is a stronger woman. Tell yeah. us a little about the woman who stood behind you. Oh, my mom is a longtime, longtime Library of Congress employee. In fact, when I was a kid in high school, I worked at the Library of Congress in the NACO section. Oh, so, you did? Oh, yes. Judy Fenley was my boss <laughs> and Suzanne Liggett at the time. And uh, I worked there for, for summers and stuff. And so I really became intimately involved with the people from the Library of Congress. I really love it. And my mom is a longtime employee there. And the, thing, the great thing about my mom is she was one of those people who thought I could do anything. Like if I said I wanted to be an astronaut, you can do it. If I wanted to be a professional, whatever, you can do it. Like she really believed that anything I tried I could do. And it reminds me, again, that it just takes one person, one person telling you you're good enough, one person telling you you're strong enough to make you realize that you can do something. And all my life she's, she's celebrated with me through the, through the good times and, and the rocky ones she's been there. And I have to tell you, you know, she, I call, I, before I talk to you, I called her. I call her at 11.05 every day after my show. <laughs> what did you wear? What happened? Who was on? You know, it's just like our, our little time. But I think, um, like, I feel such strong support, love, and um, admiration for her. You know, I mean, look, she and my dad came over from Egypt. They started their lives together here. They had us. They, you know, they managed to um, raise three great kids who are, you know, my brothers are terrific, at least two or uh, three. They're both great. And, you know, it's, um, 
I'm I'm just in awe. And to this day, she ran a marathon when she was 60. She's she works hard. She's uh, got she's a great friend and a great mom and a great grandmother to my um, to my niece. And you know, I feel lucky. I mean, if you don't know Sammy at the Library of Congress, go see her. <laughs> she is very special. Um, the theme of this year's book festival is celebrate the joys of reading aloud. What is your most memorable storytelling, reading aloud experience, either as a child or as an adult? Um, you know, I'm a big advocate of reading out loud. I think because there's something about hearing it. I mean, there's something about, because look, when you look at a page and four words strung together make your eyes well up, you think to yourself, how did that happen? How did that writer put those four words together and make me feel this emotion this strongly? And I think <laughs> there's such a magic in reading. And look, I mean, I'm that way with a lot of things. I'm always reading things, either parts of books to my mom or to my friends or to my boyfriend or whatever. And I think I'm just an advocate of it. I mean, as, as uh, you know, it's, it's all about sharing. We do that with books. We do that with the newspaper. We do it with all those things. And I think there's just an intimacy about it. I mean, I love those the books on the books on tape. I like to hear, you know, Bill Clinton tell his story from his book. And there's just something that makes it uniquely human. Um, and, and and I really enjoy it. Uh, that's kind of how I see that. Well, thank you so much. I'd like to remind our listeners that you will appear on Saturday, September 24th in the Contemporary Life Pavilion at the National Book Festival on the National Mall. Hoda, thank you so much. Cheryl, thank you. This has been a presentation of the Library of Congress. Visit us at loc.gov.